John chapter 1 verse 6 says this, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Who, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, those to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Will you pray with me, please? God, I want to thank you so much for the privilege of being able to take this time and be in your word. And Lord, you know every need that's here and the ways that you want to minister. And so, Lord, I pray that exactly that, that you would, in this time now, profoundly speak. And so, Lord, please, have your way. Do something beautiful. Do something so profound, so rich, so right, that all we can do is say thank you. And that we would willingly sit at your feet today and and take the mantle that you wish to put upon each of us. So captivate us in your word. Draw us in, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit so that today we would encounter you. And thank you, Lord, for this text. May it burst open and come alive now. And may we have so much fun in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Always search the scriptures. Let the Bible be your authority. What we read here is we are introduced now to John. Uh, it is clear in scripture there are at least four Johns. Uh, and of course, this is one of them. Uh, John, by the way, what we do read is, of course, there's the writer of this gospel. And this is where it gets confusing. There's the writer of this gospel. And then there's this guy that we read of here who is called the Baptist, for what it's worth. Uh, so there are four of them, uh, for what it's worth, the Baptist. He's called that, John the Baptist, 15 times in Scripture. And he's called that by Jesus in Matthew 11, 11, Herod in Matthew 14, 2, Herod's wife in 14, 8, and then the people themselves in John 16, 14, when he says, who do the people say? Well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Uh, there is a member of the high priest's family in Acts 4, 6, whose name is Jonathan. Uh, the, perhaps the second uh, famous person in Acts that we, would, uh, that, we in, that we meet there is a guy named John whose surname or his last name is Mark, John Mark. He writes, of course, the Gospel of Mark. That's Acts 12.12. 12. We read John whose surname is Mark. And then the writer of this Gospel, uh, of course, what we see in Matthew 10.2. Here, of course, we're introduced to this character. And Jesus actually has quite a bit to say about him, including this in Matthew 11.11, 11, as well as in Luke 7. I believe it's verse 28, when he says, I say to you that of those that are among men or those who are born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. And that tells us an awful lot. Jesus has a fantastic high write-up to say, although he will say, but he who was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. But Jesus says, in the simplest of it all, a man who is simply born of mankind, a human being, as far as human beings go, this is as good as it gets. This is your guy. There's nobody greater that's just simply born of the flesh versus what we're going to see here, born of God. Now, before we even kind of get into this, I want us to kind of start with some basic points uh, that kind of help us into what we uh, get into by the time we get to verse 13. And that's the offer that Jesus is offering us and that he's offering every human being out there. Uh, first of all, it's important to recognize that all of us are not born. None of us are born children of God in and of our, our birthright. Uh, regardless of how we want to look at it, we are, according to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 3 and 6, 4, uh, it tells us that we're born children of wrath. We're not born children of God. We're born children of Adam. And because of that, we are born under the wrath of Adam. So when people say, come on, we're all children of God, Scripture tells us, no, we're not. We're not all children of God. Children of God actually have to be born into a different family. And this is why Jesus tells us in John 3, 3 and 3, 7, we must be born again. 
Because the one thing is, we are born in the flesh, and in that human flesh, we are all born children of Adam. We, and we therefore incur, well, if you will, the sort of debt that is left by Adam himself. The same way that if our children, you know, born to us or brought into our family, uh, receive whatever the benefits or the, you know, the things that are required from us as we hand them down to our family. And in the same way, Adam gave us all that. He gave us sin. We can thank him for that later. And he gave us then, of course, the the fee of that sin. Now, that is why Jesus tells us that we have another option. And that option is that we need to be born again. Not just of the flesh, but this time of the spirit. And that will be the whole point of John chapter 3 when he speaks to Nicodemus. And this is why the world out there has such a problem because we start drawing lines the moment we tell them, you have to be born again. So people even ask that, well, what kind of Christian are you? Well, I don't know how many kinds of Christians are there. And they'll say, well, are you one of those born again? And there's a weird part because you have to realize that if we're going to be honest, we say, to be honest, scripturally, the only Christians are born again. There aren't Christians that are born again and Christians who aren't born again. Either you're born again or you're not. Well, scripturally, Jesus tells us it is a requirement. And here's the good news is that our God is into adoption. And so there are two different ways. Well, there are three different ways, if you think about it, that you could become part of someone's family. You can marry in as a bride. Now, because you're probably aware of the fact when a girl was born to a family in the Middle East, to this day, they basically consider them on loan. Sooner or later, she's going to marry into another person's family. And when she marries into that person's family, she's going to become a part of that family. So that's one way to become a part of another person's family, is to be a woman born, uh, I'm sorry, woman and then married into another family. The second way is through adoption. Now, of course, you get the idea of that. Someone sees you, you know, you're in a particular position where you obviously need uh, or looking for a guardianship. And with that, then somebody volunteers to take that responsibility and, of course, goes through a tremendous amount of legal issues and, you know, finances and so forth to get there. The other way, of course, is simply being born into that family. Do you realize that when it comes to God doing anything for us, he always goes to the extreme? Have you noticed that? No matter what the possibility is, all of your bases are always going to be covered with the Lord. If those are the only three ways to become part of a family, God offers you all three. Have you noticed that? That's why he calls us the bride, not the son in this case, but first the bride in that because you marry in through Christ. But we're also all called sons, and God's not being gender mean here. The idea of it is because we are all in that adoption process and being born into the family, we're born sons because if you're born a son, you're a permanent member of the family. It isn't that God's looking at you and trying to decipher whether you're a boy or a girl or trying to come up with some other idea. The bottom line is he looks at you and says, you are a permanent member of the family and therefore you are going to be invested in for the family business, which by the way is seeking and saving the lost. And that's what we're going to see here. So consider this. No matter how it is that we could become part of God's family, all of those are offered. And that's what we get by the end of this when it tells us, but as many as received him, he gave him that right, that option, if you will, the privilege of becoming children of God, which you could never do in your flesh, which you could never do because somebody else wanted you to do it, but rather it can only happen if God were to invite you and God is inviting you. We're aware of that because there are certain apps where you can't even get a part of it unless somebody else invites you on it. And then the same way, let's face it, you can just decide that you want to be adopted by the queen and that you want to become a Windsor, but unless they extend the invitation, you're still not going to be a Windsor. And the reason I say that is that's our whole point, is this is what's being offered. Now, before we kind of dig into the John issue of this, which is, of course, who we're meeting, I'd like you to consider the people you know out there, the people that are in your family, the people that you've become friends with, the people that you work beside. Unless they accept the gift of Jesus Christ, they're spiritually orphans. They're spiritually alone. The closest thing they have to a guardian is the one who actually is the one who puts them a a child of wrath, who is the prince of the power of the air, who raises up enemies to the living God and seeks to draw others away from him. And these are the people we claim to love. And we are the only people who are the ambassadors of that adoption. But understand, and what we're going to see here is, we cannot make somebody get adopted. And that's the whole point when it says we're not born of blood, which tells you you couldn't just be born into it physically. 
You couldn't just be like, well, you know, you got to understand, I'm from this country, and because I'm from this country and I have this bloodline in me, clearly I'm going to be a part of the child, children of God. It doesn't work that way. That's not blood. Nor, by the way, the will of the flesh. In other words, no matter how much you want it, unless God extends it, it's not going to happen. Nor of the will of man. No matter how much somebody else wants it, it's not going to happen. But it can only happen by God. And that's our whole point. But God is extending it. And he wants to use us to do so. And when people are going to look, what are they going to see? Are they going to see a reason to want to be a part of this family? Are they going to see something so different from the family that they know? That they can look and say, wow, whatever that thing is, diverse as it is by race. I mean, you look around and we realize we're very different looking people. By the way we speak, we're different speaking people. We've all been adopted. And we were dead in our trespasses and sin, walking around in the lusts of our flesh and of our mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, enemies in our mind and hearts to God. Put all of that together when you start thinking about adopting. God looked in the world and saw someone dead. But they weren't just dead. They were walking dead. That makes them a zombie. So they're dead and they were an enemy of God. And they were, by nature, a child of wrath, fulfilling all of the lusts and the desires of their flesh and of their mind. Now, in your right mind, would you ever adopt someone like that? But the difference is, God's not intimidated by death because God's the God of life. And because of that, he can take a dead person to make them alive. God isn't intimidated by all of the nature that a person possesses because if we're going to be honest, God is going to give us a brand new nature the moment we say yes. That's the part of being born again. And this is what God is offering to your neighbor, to your friends, to the people you work with, to your family members by blood. He wants to adopt them and he wants to make them new. And he wants to bring them into a place of fantastic love and protection. But... They're going to look at you and decide that for themselves, whether this is even worth it. So here's what we get to. In our first verse, we read three things. And let me ask, how many of these do you qualify for? It tells us there was a man, Egeneto Anthropos, sent from God, Apostelamentos, or Stalamenos, Paratheu, whose name was John. Three things. The first is, he was a man. By the way, the word there, Anthropos, isn't like he was a boy. He was a man. In other words, he was a human he was a human. Matter of fact, when we study human beings before this point, we call it anthropology. Anthropos is the word for mankind. In other words, he was a human being. So guess what? You qualify. Of the first things, you're a human being. I mean, the reason I said is Jesus says this guy, as far as things go, until being born again, this is as good as it gets. But here's the cool part. Being born again in Christ, we already surpassed this. And we have this call on our lives. So here's where it starts. You're like, oh, I can't do it. Well, are you a human being? Because that's where it starts. Here's the beautiful part about it, is that the way that God looks at human beings is he doesn't look at them by status first or even by problem first. He looks at them as this, as a human being. As a matter of fact, if you remember the man, if we were to say, if you were to look at any person in the New Testament, and I'm going to excuse Judas Iscariot from it for a moment, but if we were to say, who is the biggest mess that we have that's been developed in Scripture. I kind of have to go, okay, well, other than you can look at the Antichrist, but somebody that really... I look at the guy, that, the man of the tombs. Because what we read is that the guy calls himself legion. He is cutting himself with stones. He is howling. He can't wear clothes by this point. They can't contain him. They can't restrain him. The guy is a mess. And as far as the Gospels go, you look and you... You know, I look in Scripture and I go, this guy is as big of a mess as anyone I've seen in Scripture. He would be as much of a hopeless case as any human being could be. And we wouldn't even want to go near him. Howling, cutting himself with stones, gashing until blood comes out, running around rabid, running around naked and screaming and yelling. You couldn't even chain the guy. Sounds like he was untasable. Kind of that's what you get out of this. What would we call someone like that? The maniac? The nutter? And yet in Mark 5, it starts with this. When Jesus had come out of the boat, there immediately met him a man with an unclean spirit. He's like, before all of those other things, though we now would make him an urban legend, 
we'd hear his screaming across the river, let me, or across the lake. And let me tell you, being at the Sea of Galilee, one thing's clear, something screams across that lake, even though it is four, you know, five to six miles across, you can still hear it. And of all the things we call him, brother, you're still just a man. He had a mother and a father that looked and held a little baby boy once with hopes and dreams and purity. What in the world happened? We don't read. But we do read this. God still looked and he said he was human. Now, who's the craziest person you know? I mean, the, the most impossible, where it's almost hard to see the humanity in it, or him, or her. God still sees him as a man. Interesting. As far as people and their behavior and personality, on the other hand, we might actually go with Matthew. Or if we want to go even beyond that to Zacchaeus, because these were men that were considered the greatest traitors to their own people. Zacchaeus, if you're aware of it, the Romans would put a bid out. They would have an auction for a spot where they would want a tax booth. And people would bid on how much money they think they could extort out of their people. They would make sure it was Jewish people because Jewish people they had a tendency of not killing their own. So as a result of that, if you had them collecting the taxes, nobody would get killed was the idea. The person who winds up bidding and winning the bid, I can get one million pounds a year at this spot. He becomes what's called the chief tax collector. And then he hires other people then to work underneath him that would be called tax collectors. Matthew, we read, was a tax collector. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And yet, when they're introduced, we read this in, Ma- in Matthew 9.9. 9, when Jesus passed from there, he saw a man named Matthew. And Luke 19.2, now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. When you think of somebody who in personality is so antagonistic, so they just get your goat. You know, they get under your skin and they drive you crazy to where it's hard to see them as a human I mean, how could a human being act like that? God still saw him that way. As a matter of fact, even those that were actually lauded and applauded, for instance, Yeros, the synagogue leader in Luke 8, 41, says there was a man named Yeros. The man who was a council member, we know of as Joseph of Arimathea, it says in Luke twenty three fifty. now behold, there was a man named Joseph. And here's the whole point. As though it seems silly to develop it, I don't think so. We start with this. What qualified him, first of all, is God did not call a superhero. He didn't go and try to find somebody from Krypton or wherever and just wait till he could fly and he could do all of these things. What God was looking for was a man. A human being for which you apply, for which you qualify. And he says, I'm looking for a human being. That's what we we find first. And be that adulated in the sight of people or be that despised in the sight of the crowds. Still a human being and you qualify. Second, he was sent from God. Now, for what it's worth, sent from God, the word is apostelos. You'd be familiar with it. It's the term for apostle. And it's important to recognize that it doesn't just say there was a man and he had all of this power or there was a man and he was called a prophet. There was a man, the second thing we read is from his species, if you will, to his sender. And that is that he was sent from God. Now, what that tells us is, is that your sender, by the way, takes the responsibility of equipping, of providing, of protecting. That's all the responsibility of the sender, not the sent. That's a radical point to start with, if you will, here. Because in that, the whole idea is, is if God sends you somewhere, it's his responsibility to take care of you. It's his responsibility to equip you for that work. And it's his responsibility to provide you in that work because God has no intention of setting you up to fail. If God is going to send you out, he is going to send you out to affect the world because nothing is more important to him than other people's relationships. And he wants to use you in that. So let me ask you, are you sendable? Because there's only two points to that. One is, would the sender be willing to send you? And the second is, will the sent be willing to be sent? Well, the sender is willing to send you. That is clear in Scripture. Which means, like it or not, you qualify for the second of the three things. You are, if you are willing, then you are sendable. Now, that sendable may be, more than likely, the first place will be your Jerusalem. And your Jerusalem will probably be the last place you want to go. Because that's people who know you, that you know you're going to be kind of weird to go and start talking to them about Jesus. 
Unless you're just that kind of person. Wherever you go, you're just going to spill him on him. And that's what God intends. What God intends is for you to be so lit up with him that no matter where you are and whoever you bounce into, you're going to just spill him on to people. No matter what kind of work. And you know this. The moment you start talking to someone about Jesus, you feel like you're selling something. Let's be honest. There's somewhere in that you feel like you've got a deal to close because if you're doing it out of a duty, as if somehow you're going to report to your sales manager, Jesus, and he's going to look at you and go, let me ask you, how many people have you shared with? How many conversions have you brought? And somewhere down there, it'll be like employee of the month, John the Baptist, or, you know, whatever. You know, and there's, oh, there's that that pastor again. Oh, Billy Graham, that guy's got his own spot, you know. And then it's like, there's, I'm never going to make it there. And it's like, well, somewhere down the line, you're kind of on that list of the people maybe not to fire, you know. And and the whole point of it is is somewhere in this, we keep forgetting that, that, that God is sending you, but God is sending you with a specific purpose in mind. And it's his responsibility to equip you and to empower you and give you all the authority that is necessary. The only part that's yours in it is being willing to be sent. Okay, the third thing is his name is John. Now, I look around the room and I kind of get that none of us necessarily apply to that, that that I'm aware of. So let's face it, two out of three, how'd you do? Two out of three, by the way, I'm I'm told ain't bad. Uh, But if I look at this, I realize that's where this starts. We're going to find then more as it's developed, but it starts with this. God's like, you need to know, I'm looking for a human being that's willing to be sent. That's it. In this case, his name was John, because we want to get specific, but let's face it. Why not? There was a human being sent from God named Abraham. There's a human being sent from God named Suti. There's a human being sent from God named Anne. Why not? Well, because the why not will not be God. It'll be us. Verse 7 says, He came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Did you notice again there are three more statements made? The first of them, He came for a witness. Otas, that's the idea of him or he. Uh, Eltheon or Elthen is the word. Elthen is the word for sent or literally entered into. Ice is into. And then the word Marturion, which literally means evidence. The first part, this man came for a witness, literally is, that fella, that human, entered into evidence. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, it's quite simple. He entered into the pool of evidence. So put it into this, if you will. First of all, let's get the pressure off of you and put it where it belongs. You are not the attorney. You will never be the attorney. You are not the one who's responsible for manipulating things, for presenting things, for orchestrating things to sway the vote, if you will, or the mind of a jury. But rather, you are part of the evidence pool. Now, there's the great part about it. Because as evidence, you simply have to be honest and true. That's all. You don't know when you're called to the stand, but you could be called to the stand. It may not be today. Or it may be. It may be tomorrow. It may be next week. It may be every day this week. But the issue is, wouldn't it be horrible if the evidence was unwilling? And he says, there was this guy, this human being. He was sent from God. And as he was sent from God, guess where God sent him into? The evidence pool. Jesus, according to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, tell us that he is the, 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 uh, the attorney. He is the defense attorney for us, and he is the one who presents. There's the beauty in it. What that tells me is the convincing, according to John chapter 16, is the Holy Spirit. He's the one who convinces people. I don't have to convince you. I don't have to sway you. But what I have to be is honest as evidence. Now, there's different kinds of evidence. Clearly, there's inanimate evidence, the bloody knife kind of thing. That's that's evidence you bring up, and it's like, well, and we've, and even in that, so to speak, it speaks because you can say we've done DNA, you know, research on it, and we've discovered, of course, the fingerprints, the fingerprints of the person accused of murder, and we've noticed the blood that's on it. We've done the DNA reports on that, and what we've discovered is the person that was murdered. This is their blood. Strangely enough. The guy that we're claiming killed him held this knife, clearly, because look at the way the fingerprints are laid out. Clearly, this knife went into that human being that died, because look at the evidence as far as that. Now, in that, it's speaking, but it's speaking by its existence, if you will. 
But of course, there is another thing, and that are witnesses. Now, witnesses are a little bit different. Because with a witness, now there's a purpose of testimony. Now, to testimony, now understand, you are testifying of what you previously witnessed. Does that make sense? Because you can't just say, well, I'm going to go, for instance, to the courtroom to witness. Well, wait a minute, to witness what? What are you going to watch? What are you going to experience? If you're going to be called in, now understand, if you are, let's just say that we're all here and you are the evidence pool for a particular court case. There are a group of jurors. Are there 12 here? Is that what you have here? Good. See, we work the same. So there's 12 jurors. I'm sure that has to do with the disciples. Oh, anyway. But uh, there's 12 jurors over there and they're going to make a decision and that decision is going to be about a human life on whether, let's just say, someone goes free or not. Now, a situation like that, what happens is there's someone's going to bring up a particular case or a situation, you know, a particular event or something about it, some aspect of it. And of course, that, you know, if you will, that barrister, that lawyer is going to look around and say, now, who do I want to call to the stand to present that particular angle or perspective of that? Again, for the purpose of swaying the, for the, purpose of swaying the, uh, the jury. Are you with me on this? Now, can you imagine if you freaked out? As a witness, because you were afraid that you were ill-equipped. Could you imagine being ill-equipped as a witness? All you really have to tell is what you've experienced. You're aware of that, right? And of course, the two ways to try to disqualify an individual that's taking the stand, one is that they have no mental capacity to truly understand what it is they experienced or that they really didn't experience the pertinent information in the first place. So they'll say, wait a minute, did you really experience that? Are you sure you saw what you think you saw? You know, are you sure you were there? And of course, the idea of disqualifying the witness, of course, is the responsibility of the other individual on the other side. But imagine, if you will, you're freaking out. Because, well, but if you knew that all you were required to share was what you honestly witnessed, you shouldn't have a fear in the world, should you? Especially if you know you're telling the truth. To me, I find that the only people who really freak out about testifying are people who are afraid to tell the truth. So what was it you experienced on that night? 6 p.m., where were you? What were you doing? And how, what did you experience? Because I need to know honestly what it is. And of course, by vir- virtue of telling the truth, otherwise threat of perjury and the punishments that come with it, you want to tell the truth. Does that make sense? John came into this situation as evidence he did not come as the lawyer he came as evidence but he came as a witness because that's what we're going to find he came as a witness which means he had to have experienced something because if he didn't experience something then all he has is what they call in the court hearsay is it the same here right hearsay what hearsay means is you didn't really experience that you heard about that from someone else how much of jesus could you honestly tell me as a witness Could you tell me as a witness that he taught 2,000 years ago? That would be weird because that would mean you're older than you look. Now we have it written down and we believe that it's it's the truth. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. But I can't say that I've witnessed that. I've witnessed the experience of what has happened in my own life through reading God's word. But I can't tell you that Jesus taught 2,000 years ago as a witness. I can't tell you that he died 2,000 years ago as a witness. I did not see that. Though clearly, if he lived 2,000 years ago, any intelligent mind would tell you, clearly he had to die. But I can tell you he's alive. And the reason I can tell you he's alive is because I've encountered him. And in encountering Jesus... Jesus has so stepped into my life that my whole life has changed. And because my whole life has changed, that's what I can testify of. And I don't have to freak out about being called to the stand on it because all I have to be is honest. If I have to, if you will, we call it evangelistic, you know, where you have to kind of spread things out a little bit bigger than what they are. That's silly because then you have to try to keep those things rattled in your head. But if you're just going to be honest and say, you know what? I am going to be available. What if we deburdened the things that were not our burden and we made ourselves available for the part that we should be, which is that we were willing to be a human being sent by God into the, into the evidence pool. 
Then what happens when God calls you to the stand? Just speak what you know. Don't speak it. Well, you can say, well, I heard about my great uncle and my great uncle had this great experience. Well, were you there? No, of course not. That was 300 years ago. You know, or whatever. And, oh, you know, and all this. And it was in another country. And, and people are like, well, that's a really lovely story, bro. But that's still hearsay. And you know what the church has done? Not in mass. Is we've tried to turn everyone into lawyers. Now, I'm not trying to speak evil of lawyers. What I'm saying is we've tried to turn, we've put a responsibility on us that we really don't have. Which is, you need, here's, if you could take these two years of philosophy and learn how to argue better. And we're going to get all this logic so you can present all your ducks in a row. And then we're going to make sure that you dive into all the archaeology so you can make sure you can bring all those evidence. But you realize what you're doing is you're trying to equip a person to, to if you think about it, to develop their own evidence pool. Does that make sense? So here's your own evidence pool. But let's face it, how in the world is archaeology going to be your evidence pool? <laughs> now you can go there. I've, I can say, well, I've walked around Israel and I can tell you about this bone wall. I've actually skid my knee up just to discover it haphazardly. <laughs> and I could tell you what I've seen and we could do this and that. But in the end of it all, think about the responsibility you feel like you have. Then you're like, well, what happened? You know what happens if somebody doesn't say yes to Jesus, then you must have failed. You must have failed because obviously you needed to present the case better. So you know what you do? You say, why in the world share it all? Because I just don't want to fail. Isn't that horrible? And think about how complicated that gets. But what if you're like, I'm evidence and I'm going to be available. I'm going to fall in love with God. I'm going to experience him anytime he wants me to experience him, which by the way, tends to be with every breath. And then with that, I'm going to be available for whenever he wants to call me to whatever stand at whatever time and in whatever way, I'm going to be there. And that may be a drunk guy as we're walking by in a market. There may be somebody sitting on a bus. For some of you, that may be standing on a platform in front of a whole lot of people. And for some of you, it may just be, to be honest, the person that's just having a hard day that's in the lift with you. And at that moment, you know it because you know what it's like to feel the prodding of the Holy Spirit on you. Because he's like, hey, you are in the evidence pool. Now you're in the evidence pool. This is the moment I want to use you. Well, here's the great part about it. So here was this guy. There was this human being who was sent from God up to us, and his name was John, and he came into the evidence pool, and it says, to bear witness of the light. That's what it tells us in John 1, 7. To bear witness means he's going now to testify, literally to testify around the light. Now, I've learned this growing up in Chicago, that the best way to try to keep your side quiet, or keep the other side quiet, is just to threaten them. My grandfather was murdered. By a Sicilian family, familia, because he was a bus driver. He was a bus driver for the Chicago Transit Authority. And he was approached by this family who wanted him to run money under his bus from one side of Chicago to the other. Believe it or not, stubbornness runs in my family. And he said no. And they threatened him. And he said, no. My grandmother and grandfather lived on the south side of Chicago, up on a second store, if you will, on the, if you will, you know, up a set of steps. A beautiful old place. And as they came in, my grandfather thought he had heard a noise. He walked up to the top of the steps and he met two men there. Employees, of course, of the disgruntled people for which he had refused. And they threw him down that flight of steps. My grandfather's brains exploded out of his head as he hit the bottom all over my grandmother's shoes. She was never the same. And these two men, in brazen openness, walked down those steps, stared her in the face and said, You didn't see nothing. And that was the end of it. Now, could my, could my grandmother have put them to justice? More than likely, assuming that they would, you know, that the police that she was working with were not run as well by that family. But she had been so intimidated by the men who had committed this crime that she remained silent until she told us much later in her own life. Now, in a case like that, she had a mortal fear. She lived in mortal fear because even though she hadn't said anything to the police, she wasn't confident they knew that. 
And she lived in fear of it. Do you realize that the enemy is doing the same thing? He is trying to keep you quiet. And fear works. Let's face it, our fear is not of mortal danger. I don't think anyone in this room lives in a constant mortal threat because of your faith in Christ. Now, I could be wrong. Tell me later if I am. We're afraid of being rejected, of being laughed at, singled out, looked at cross. That's as bad as it gets for us, let's be honest. But it's enough. It just seems to me the enemy isn't wasting energy really pulling out big guns because, let's face it, it's to me it's like pea shooters seem to be silencing most of the church. And part of it is, if we can't divert them to thinking they have to be the lawyer, we can just frighten them into silence by making them think that they'll be alone. Don't you realize how important church is then? Because it's at a place like this that we realize that we're all in the same place. We've experienced the most perfect, awesome God. And we're available to be evidence poor, and it's an amazing thing to watch a life change. This man came as a witness. He entered into the pool, the witness pool, or the evidence pool, to testify. He doesn't have to share what he doesn't know. Neither do you. Do you realize why it tells us that in Revelation they overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb, the, the word of their testimony, and they didn't love their lives unto death? Do you know why the third line was so important? Because the third line allowed the second one to be important. If we loved our lives unto death, we would not use the word of our testimony. But if we realize Jesus is our life, we won't be afraid. But here's the reason why. He entered into the pool of evidence to be a witness, to testify, so that all through him might believe. If it was all that was going to be through him might believe, what that tells us is John was available 24-7. For the phone call, the text, or the loud neighbor. There's a difference between somebody playing the music too loud and somebody crying through a wall. And the only reason I say that is, wouldn't it be great if we were like, Lord, today, and this is all I'm asking of you today with me, that we make an open commitment to the Lord to enter into his evidence pool and be available for the, for the lawyer for the great defense attorney to use us that all in our life would believe. Our children, our neighbors, our work, the people we work with. Could you imagine? You're like, well, I need to make them believe. Well, that's what we're going to find here is that's exactly the problem. It tells us in the verse, in verse 8, he himself was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. Please understand You are not the Savior, and I'm not the Savior. You're not Jesus, and I'm not Jesus. Praise God, he lives in us, but we are not him. So we can't save, but we can be used. So stop being the lawyer. Well, I shouldn't say it to to Marcy, but I mean, you get that idea. Stop feeling responsible to convert, but rather be used by the one who does convert whenever he wants to use you. Have you ever had times where you're speaking with someone and then you thought you had the doozy to shut them down and you reached in to pull out that doozy and you were going to say it and you were just going to know it was kind of like at that moment, it was like, BAM! And that was it. They were done. And then you reached in and you couldn't find it anymore. And they're like, it fell out of your head. You know, you're like, oh, I'm going to show, oh, this is it going. You just, you just wait till you finish your sentence and I'm, oh, this is, this is going to be it, right? And you're like putting on your gloves and I'm like, ready. And then you're like, and then you don't have it and you're like, what just happened? What? This was totally going to be it. This was totally, oh, this guy was going to grovel. They were going to like jabble the hut in front of me. And I'm like, what? And God's like, that would have won an argument, but that was not going to convert that person so that all through him might believe. What I want is people to believe, not just say you win. What I've learned is a big difference between making friends and putting someone in a submission hold. But what if you're like, all right, I know my purpose is to introduce myself, offer myself into the evidence pool to be used whenever he wants to use me so that everyone that would believe would believe. And I get to be a part of it. Could you imagine what that would be like? 
Look at he wasn't the light. But he was sent to bear witness. And we're going to find here as we get around to the end of this that that's going to be fundamental because of the issue in regards to Jesus' presentation of himself. He says that true light that gives light to the man was coming into the world. Look at verses 10 and 11. It tells us he was in the world and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. Why does he want to bring us as evidence? Because though God walked among them, they didn't even know him when he walked among them. They would, in other words, they wouldn't know Jesus if he went up to one and bit him. I can't imagine Jesus going up and biting someone. But just the same, if he turned their water into wine in front of them, they wouldn't recognize him. But the word know here, for what it's worth, Gnosko, you're aware that there's words like oidos, oidos, the idea of perceive versus to know by experience. It's the second one, but it's active. What that tells us, it isn't like Jesus kind of walked up and they didn't recognize him. What that says is they would not interface with him to really know him. That's the idea. Think back in secondary school, you know, where you kind of walk through the halls and you're like, that person looks like they'd be cool to hang out with. And you're like, hi. And they're like, "Eh." and that was the end of your conversation. They were like, I know you exist. I'm aware of that presence, but I have no interest in engaging to actually have any form of experience with you. That's the idea of this word in this context. So this is not just, you know, well, Jesus walked among them. I don't know. Could have been anyone who's, you know, they all look alike with that beard and the hair and the, you know, they look like Daniel Taylor. I mean, that's not what's being said. What it's saying is, God is there and he's like, please, please interface with me. Please have a relationship with me. And they're like, nah, that's not what I want. Well, why don't they want that? Because they don't even realize how great it is to have a relationship with him. And guess what God uses then to show them? Us. Because we are the evidence of that. That's why he wants to use us like John. The reason he wants to use us like John is because a world out there doesn't know how amazing it is. <laughs> Look at Whether you know it or not, even people who don't believe that, that Jesus is everything that he is still believes he existed. It, there's too much evidence to prove that, you know, to, to prove that Jesus existed. And anyone in their right mind would say, well, he had to die somewhere, and it, whether it was on the cross or otherwise. But for me to say I have a relationship with that guy, no, well, that's a little weird. But when you see the changes in my life and you see the things, by the way, that are superhuman now, which, by the way, are things like forgiveness and non-retaliating on situations where I would have rather driven their head off those shoulders. And they start to see a person that is weird because they actually look more like God. They start to wonder what in the world's going on. And all of that's part of the evidence pool. Because Jesus, even when walking among them, they wouldn't recognize him. And they're making a conscious choice not to. And it tells us this then. Not only that, but I can't even imagine the heartbreak in this. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Again, active, indicative. And what that means again is, is that he came to his own, but they would not receive him. Now, receive is an interesting word here, because receive is normally passive, right? Receive just means all you have to do is nothing and it happens. That's the point. It's active because of this. Have you ever had someone kind of do this? Because it happens to me all the time now. In the neighborhood we live in, everybody drinks. And alcohol is like the thing. So it's like, you know, you do something nice and you're like, hey, you know, hey, we're your new neighbors. Hey, what do you drink? And you know that's going to get awkward. Because what do you say? I'm like, well, my wife likes Diet Coke. And at that point they're like, ugh. Yeah, yeah, but what do you drink? Could you imagine? It's like, you know, imagine to be like, hi, my name is Buddy. What's your favorite meat? But that's the culture. And again, I'm not trying to, the whole point of it is it gets, so you know what happens is we're someplace, we're walking, we went and saw a movie a couple days ago, and afterwards we had this, it was just such a cool experience. We're walking by and we, we walk by this market and there's a particular gentleman that I had met once. I tried to help him with something. And, and so he calls, hey, how's it going? And of course, he's a bit pickled by this point. And it's an evening market. And, and we sit down and we get to spend this time with him. And of course, and it's like, and he knows I'm a pastor. He knows I love the Lord, but he doesn't know in the world that means. So he's like, hey, so what are you drinking? I'm like, I would love a tea. It was cold out, you know. He's like, yeah, but a lager. Do you want a lager? And I'm like, no. He's like, well, how about a beer? And I'm like, and he went through like everything that was alcoholic. And his, I mean, it's like, I could go down to the store and get you something else we don't have. I'm like, you're missing the point here. 
And it, like, the whole reason I say that is, it's like he's, 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 he's being kind. Bless him. He's really trying to be kind, and he's trying to let me into his world. That part of his world, it's kind of like, hey, I'm dying of cancer. Can I share it with you? No, thank you. You know, it's like this is something, but he's like, but he's doing this. Please, please have it. Please have it. And I have to actively refuse that. If I didn't say anything, there would be a scrumpy jack or whatever sitting in front of me. And so I'm like, you know, no, 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 thank, no, 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 thank, no, 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 really, no, thank you. My mom smoked, my dad drank, and I really kind of don't want to be near either of them. And, and it's like, but you have to actively say no to that. And what I find is you have to actively say no a lot. Because you, you know how this is. It's kind of like the pretty gal and the guy just kind of likes her. But she's just not digging it at all. And he's like, let's go out. No, 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 really. No. You want to go see a movie? No. Well, how about a walk? No. How about, you're getting missing the point. It's, it's not the event. It's, I just don't like you. But you don't want to be mean, right? But you have to, there's this actively refusing the reception. The reason I say that is that's the term we're looking at here. When it says he came to his own. I mean, these are people, they understand God made these people and he made them with a specific mission and he comes to be received. It's like coming home to your family and they're like, no, 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 no. Can I come in? No. Come on, can I spend night? No. Can I just have a meal? No. And that is what he's saying here about these people. And that's why God has an evidence pool. Because though he's coming, he's going, please, will you have me? No. Can we talk? No. Can we interface? No. Can I? No. I don't even want to know. No. 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 Big bag of nope. That's where it's going. And somewhere that the Lord's like, well, what's clear is at this moment, you're not willing to listen to me. You've already built up your nope before I showed up. And you know that. People are like, end of conversation. So what happens is God brings in another person. And he's like, well, okay. So he bumped into Pastor Tony on the bus. But guess what? He's going to go eat at a restaurant with Siotis. And Siotis going to pray before his meal. And they're going to look at him. Oh, what's this? And then he's going to go walk through the stalls and run into Maureen. And as he walks into the stalls and he sees Maureen, she's like, God bless you. And he's like, ah, what in the world? And he's like, they're all so happy. You know, you ever hear people say that? You're, oh, you guys are all so happy. Well, and then that's bad. Would you like it if we were just angry and shooting people? Well, you know, at least you can relate. Right, and so, and then from there, it's like the next thing, he's like, he gets back on the bus and he runs into Abraham. And he's like, oh, and Abraham's like, listen, bruv, you need Jesus. No, 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 because he came to his own, but his own would not receive him. But then you know what happens? He says no to Abraham, but then he turns around and sees her, sees him, I'm aware that you're him, uh, sitting next to Suzanne, and the interface between the two of them is so pleasant and kind. And then he gets up because an older woman comes in and he wants to give his seat. And she goes, no, what do you think I am? And he's like, okay. And he doesn't fire back like other guys would at a moment like that. And he's like, okay, fine. And this guy at that moment, though he said, no, 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 is watching that. Because the evidence doesn't stop the moment you stop talking to someone, does it? So what happens? He came to his own, but his own would receive him. But as many as he did, and they're all active, the moment you are willing to say yes, he gives you the opportunity to become his child, to be adopted by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Here's the crazy part. There is a father out there with extra room in his house that wants another son, that wants another child in that home, and he's looking at your friends. And he's looking at your family. And he's looking at your neighbors and your cranky boss and the weird person you work with. And you're not sure what in the world's going on with them. And you're looking at all those people. And he's looking at that. And he's going, man, I want that one in my house. And you're like, I don't want that one in your house. He's like, but they change when I do. You know that I change you. So what do you want me to do, boss? I'm not your boss. I'm your Lord. It's different. And I'm your father. Will you be available? Because whether you know it or not, the moment they know you're a Christian, and even before that, you are under observation. Hey, if there's any place in the world that you know you're being watched, it's London. Let's be honest. And if you think big brother's the issue, you should wait till you see, because that person may become your little brother. And they're watching and saying, well, how are you different? 
And the moment they start asking, you're called to testify. But don't just try to whip out stuff about what you heard. Take take some time this week and ask yourself, if I were called to the stand as a Christian, could I give enough evidence to convict? What could I actually say that was honest about my genuine witness? Have you encountered Jesus in this way? Or are you at that place where you're just like, I'm still actively not receiving him and choosing not to know him. And you're like, well, please understand that is not God's choice. That's yours. Because both of those are active choices. And the people out there that don't want to know him, it isn't because God doesn't want them to not know him. It's because God is reaching out and they are not accepting his hand. So you know what's going to happen? God's going to break them down and he's going to use you. Welcome to the world of sledgehammer. Because he's going to use you to crack rock. And that means there'll be some impact. Here's the good news. Is that there was a man, just a human being, and he was sent from God, just like you are. Okay, his name was John, but you can add your name right in there. He came and entered into the evidence pool. He came as a witness to testify of that light. Now, that true light, that good light into the world. No, he wasn't that light. He knew that. But he did this because he knew that in being the evidence, people are going to believe. What if the one thing, because it's hard to tell. I know there's a, some form of science behind it, but you just kind of know. There is a moment when you watch a jury. I've had the privilege of being on them more than once. Where you watch a jury and you watch where there's a moment where everything starts to sway. You know, this is the one moment where the entire jury goes, oh, yeah, it's clear to me now. What if that moment is your moment? in the life of someone you love. And the enemy knows it so badly, he's trying to keep you silent. But he knows if God could call you to the stand at the right moment, because let's face it, God knows that person like you don't. And he knows them well enough to know the moment they're vulnerable, they're available, they're teachable, they're hearable. He goes, at that moment, it may be a moment of, they might be drunk. They might not be. They might be crying. They may not be. They might be angry. They might not be. They might be just fired. They might have just discovered that someone they love is ill. They might have just discovered they have a terminal illness. They might have just gotten fired or whatever the case is. They might just be at a point where they just got promoted. But wherever it is, God knows there's the moment. There it is. And he knows there it is. All right, Maureen, ready? I'm going to call you in now to the stand. Well, what do I say? What do I say? Here's the great part. Don't worry. He knows how to ask the questions of his witnesses, right? And you know what's funny is how many times God asks the question through someone else. Have you noticed that? It sounds like this. Look, I'm almost done because we're done with our text. Look at someone goes, do you really believe that? Do you really believe like God created stuff? Do you really believe Jesus is the only way? Now, who do you think is asking that question? I genuinely believe, though the enemy is trying to turn it into an antagonistic thing and we want to turn it into a debate, well, bottom line is God's using it because he's called you to the witness stand and someone's got to ask questions. And guess what? It's often the person that's in front of you, they just sound like they're too full of vinegar to actually make it a genuine inquiry, but it is. And they're like, you really believe that? And you know what's crazy is how many times they really want you to say just simply, yes. Not, well, hold on, let me see if I can dust off my archaeology stuff. But actually, yes, I do believe that. Well, then you're a nutter. Believe what you want. But I'm a happy nutter. I have peace and I have joy because I have met this person. And this person lives inside of me and he has changed me in ways there's no possible way I could have changed. To be honest, I would have punched you in the face by now. But since Jesus has changed me, I'm sharing with you. Isn't that weird? Now, that may not be your testimony. Hopefully not. But you get the point. So look, as we go to prayer, here's my question to you and to me. Are we willing simply today to say, Lord, 
I offer myself to your evidence pool so that all through me would believe. Call me to the stand when you need me. Make me testify in whatever manners you need. I know that you haven't called me to make anything up. You've simply called for me to be honest about what it is I've genuinely witnessed. And that will be a testimony. I believe that if you call me to the stand, it is because you know I could be the moment where the jury in someone's heart shifts and changes and says, yeah. And face it, you can't see that often. But they go, you know what? Talking to COT for 10 minutes, that was enough. Everything changed. Sitting with Carolina, everything changed. Boy, that Yash guy, I don't know, man. You, There's something about him that's different. And then the Lord says, all right, Yash, I'm calling you to the stand. Tell him why. And you're like, I'm afraid to. Of course you are. But do it. Because God wants to adopt. He wants to adopt the person you're speaking with. And he's using you to let him know how great it is to be in that home. Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you for this beautiful text. How beautiful is this text? Thank you for John. Thank you, Lord, that in his case, you'd call him to eat bugs. Thank you, you haven't called us to do that, that I'm aware of. To stand out in the middle of nowhere and start yelling. And Lord, I I, I confess to you, that doesn't sound like the kind of place I'd want to do it, but Lord, you know. The bottom line is, because you are the sender, It's your mission, your commission, and your provision. That's the beauty. Because I'm simply the sent. I simply go where you tell me and do as you call. And therefore, my only statute of success is obedience. But today, recognizing Jesus died on the cross for us so that all of our guilt could be paid, just like Scripture promised, was buried and just like Scripture promised, rose again on the third day. And for that, we get to be testifiers, witnesses of Jesus, your resurrection, because we testify of that. Because of your resurrection, you are alive. And because you are alive and love us, you interface with us and invite us to know you and receive you. Those are the terms here. And we recognize that any person willing to, to know you, willing to receive you, could be adopted, brought into the fold, brought into the family, rescued out of being a child of wrath, and being born again. And for anyone making that decision, we say, Jesus... You died on the cross for me. You rose again on the third day, all like Scripture promised. And I say yes to you as your as Lord and Savior, as payment for my sins. Absolutely. I say have my life and bring me in. For all who have said yes to you, we make the choice today to enter into the evidence pool seeking to be a faithful witness. Faithful to be available to speak when you call us to the stand. To speak that which you call us to speak on the stand. And to be honest and simple and true about it. So Lord, as you make our entire life now evidence, consume us in such a way so that you give us the heart you have for the adoption of those around us. So today, even, we would start to see the juries change in the hearts of people we know and love around us, or know and endure around us, or know and dislike around us. God, please, use us now. We willingly volunteer ourselves 
knowing that that could be scary. But we thank you, Lord, it's not our job to convince, but it is our job to be faithful as a witness, as the evidence you call us. So, Lord, use us, we pray. And change this world. May London come to believe in you because of the people in this room, myself included, right now, as we pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, come upon us to make us that evidence. So, Lord, we would have the boldness to testify and the willingness, Lord, at whatever and however and whenever you call us, Lord, transform this city so that we would say that all through these people, myself included, that through us, Lord, all would believe. Not from us, but through us. So Lord, send us out of here in that joy, we pray. And Jesus, we're yours. Use us, we pray. In your name. And if you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say, Amen.